from the American Gulf Coast, it's the Dave Nemo Show. And now back to our regularly scheduled Tuesday programming, because if it's Tuesday, it's Tech Talk. Tech Talk with TMC. And we're going to the new year by kind of ringing in the future on the program this morning. Future trucks, future trailers. You know, back in the day, all of the talk in the industry was about the tractor. You know, all of the innovations, the new engines, the horsepower, and then it was emissions and aerodynamics, and everything was about the truck, the truck, the truck. And the trailer, oh yeah, we got one of those. We'll just hook it up and carry it down the road. Now, trailers are about as smart as the trucks are. And we're gonna be talking about that on the program with Paul Menig from Tech IM, and of course, Robert Braswell. And uh, you, the phones are open, 615-292-6366. Forward, not into the past, like with Claire Marie, but forward into the future on this week's edition of Tech Talk with TMC. Tech Talk with TMC. And here we go into 2019 and beyond. Robert Braswell, good morning. Hey, good morning, Dave. It's always great to be back here for Tech Talk with TMC, and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. I was just uh, zeroing in on that movie where um, the uh, they had Bed, Bath, and Beyond, <laughs> <laughs> which That's is, hilarious. I guess, where we might be heading. Um, well, Robert, um, today is a, a great uh, the. Future is, uh, you know, my bumper sticker reads the future was yesterday because everything we hear about um, in terms of all this new stuff, man, they've been doing it for years, sometimes in uh, Scandinavia, sometimes in Japan, sometimes in Europe, sometimes on I-94, you know, um, sometimes along I-10 from California to Florida. And so uh, the technology is not coming. A lot of it's already here. It just hasn't been integrated into our thinking to a great degree, I guess. And that's, and that's what we're right. going to be and thinking course, about today. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it takes a long time for technology from its genesis to actually become ubiquitous. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about uh, future technology, what's here today, what's coming tomorrow. And kind of in the context of our future truck program here at the Technology Maintenance Council a little bit, and joining us on the program is someone who's very active in TMC's future truck program is uh, Paul Menick, who's president of Tech IM. Paul himself is quite an interesting veteran of the trucking industry. He's been a longtime member of TMC. He's uh, chaired the Far Horizons group within our future truck committee. That's a group that looks at where trucks and truck maintenance and, and vehicle technology should be 10 years down the road, maybe longer. He refers to himself as an entrepreneur, having led some innovative efforts at Daimler, Eaton, and GE. Prior to starting at uh, TechIM, he led the Mechatronics Group at Daimler Trucks North America, where his teams introduced numerous electronic products, including, uh, I think most notably, uh, automated mechanical transmissions. Boy, they're all over the place now, aren't they? But also electronic braking, radar collision warning, electronic engine controls, telematics, you name it. He's been involved with it. We're very pleased to have Paul join us on the program this morning. Let's take a look at the future, and please welcome Paul Menig. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Robert. David, it's great to be here this morning. Paul, it's great to have you with us on the program this morning. I know that we're going to be talking uh, about some specific uh, questions and, and areas of, of the um, tractor and the trailer, <clears throat> but um, our, we always like to go to our callers 
as much as possible so they're not just um, hanging on. And we got a couple of callers uh, to start off with, so why don't we go there? Already, wow. And then we'll, yeah, so uh, let's head up to Michigan and talk to Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, gentlemen. Well, this is my idea for a tractor and trailer combination. It's a trailer that has four-wheel uh, motors. That way you can have better control. That uh, trailer is one battery, and what the power unit and the top of the trailer would have motor cells to charge the battery. That would be the trailer. And with the reefer unit, or it could be like a Tesla, with the t- how they change their batteries, they take off the shell, the body, and put a new new chassis on. I could see a trailer being the same thing. Everybody's so idea of making the tractor the battery source. Why aren't they doing that with the trailer? The trailer, you could downsize the motor on the tractor just, and make the trailer the whole, the whole power unit. This way, you got better control during the winter. That way, when it would start feeling slippage or anything, the, the motors would kick in to keep the tra- uh, tractor on or the trailer on the road. And on top of that, you don't want, need it like if you're in a yard, uh, a work yard. You don't need a Ottawa or a yard truck. The trailer could back itself in with just with a guy standing next to it with a controller. How come, they, how come no one's came out with this idea yet? You are one heck of a good futurist, I've got to say. The idea that the trailer could be the vehicle that is powering things is is a fabulous one. There's been a few uh, people in Europe that have recently come close to uh, demonstrating something like that. The idea that right. you have separate uh, wheel motors on uh, each side of the, the trailer uh, and that you'd have something simple in the front of it where the fifth wheel is, uh, the uh, the pin is for the fifth wheel right now is an idea that uh, has come the idea that you could put the entire top of the trailer with um, solar panels is out there solar as well panel all the way through yeah yeah and what's nice about it if you have a reefer unit you want you're sleeping next to a guy the guy would never hear it because the reefer unit would come on and it would be off powered you could run a truck coast to coast because of the kinetic energy off of the wheels, because you would have generators on the wheels. Now, you, besides you're having an 18-wheeler that's your that's only four wheels. You know, when you lock in your drives, you got two opposite wheels that grab. Now you got your all your wheels on the back of the trailers that's operating, and and up in the front, you got your your power unit. That if you have to use it, you could slip it into gear. But now you don't get no more sliding off the road or anything because now your truck is pretty much all-wheel drive. Yeah. So the key question, though, that I think you asked is why hasn't that happened yet? And right. it, that boy, that that's it. It's a lot to do with regulations and the development that we drove things, even from the uh, the Civil War days where you you rode a horse uh, and you and you kind of drove the horse. It didn't uh, power itself along a path. The wagons. Uh, we're always done with somebody, even a train, uh, you know, with as many uh, railroad cars as it has, still has a driver in it, even though it's on a fixed path. So uh, in our industry, uh, I was thinking over the weekend and talking with some people, it used to be that we talked about there being about 3.5 trailers per tractor. 
because you'd take mm-hmm. your tractor, you'd drop off the, the trailer at uh, a warehouse somewhere or a, a yard or a port or a, a rail uh, head or something, and then you'd go or get, they get lost. Load, take it. <laughs> yeah, or they get lost. And and I'm not positive this. I got to look up some numbers, but I think I saw something that suggested that that's dropped to about 2.7 trailers per tractor now. So there've been some improvements. Because they don't get lost as much. Great. <laughs> well, with the technology that would be in that trailer and the cost of that trailer, I don't think they would be dropping it off somewhere and forgetting about it. <laughs> Well, and, and that's been a big thing. You know, a tractor today costs about one hundred and twenty to one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and a trailer is about thirty thirty five thousand uh, dollars. So there's a lot more technology on the tractor side than on the, the trailer side at this point in time. Now that will change. Uh, Robert mentioned, you know, it takes time for innovations to happen. Uh, and he mentioned that I worked on automated mechanical transmissions. I worked on them initially in the mid 1980s. And it's only in the last three or four years that they've reached 75% penetration for new vehicles. So that's on the order of 30 years of development. And I saw something recently on uh, the the good old-fashioned compact disc. It took 15 years from the time it started to be used as a medium for uh, playing uh, music and, and eventually watching videos with DVDs. It took 15 years for it to peak and then another 15 years to... Uh, to decay off. Do, do you use a CD still in your truck or not? Or are you streaming everything? I stream everything. Huh. Okay. Heck, I don't, even, I don't even have cable at my house no more. I stream at that, too. <laughs> okay. You're one of the early adopters. You must be waiting to uh, see what's uh, going to be announced at CES this week, then. <laughs> oh, I, I like to see. I like to hear. <laughs> but, yeah, I just... Like I was just saying, everyone's so fixated on making the trucks all battery powered, and you got all the battery sets in the truck, but you got a 53 foot trailer that is, you could make the whole chassis one big ion battery. And on top of that, you could always take the sides off the trailer and make it a flatbed. So you, yeah. you, you, got, you, you got so many versabilities out of a trailer. And now the tractor that was a hundred thousand dollars flips and goes down to seventy nine thousand because your power unit is behind you pushing you instead of you pulling it. I just never understood why. I even tried to call Great Dane and try to give them my idea, and they never, no one ever wanted to call me back. I tried Utility Great Dane to shoot them this idea. No one wants, no one, no one wants it. So here I am, I'm giving it to. You know, there was an interesting movie a couple of years ago called Logan, uh, which was about uh, one of the X-Men characters. But the most interesting thing in that movie Wolverine. for me was the, was the transportation. You know, in, in Logan, they had these basically autonomous uh, trailers, self-driving trailers. That was just the, the, the box, the 53-foot box on, a, on a, a container chassis that just moved about 45 miles an hour back and forth, completely autonomous. And it, I, from the looks of it, it looked like it had solar powers and was battery operating and all that. And I wish that it had more about that than the actual movie itself. It wasn't that, that great a movie, but the yeah. but the, uh, the transportation in it was really cool. I mean, it was very thought-provoking if you're in our industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, that one, one scene where they were did. running across the highway and those trailers were coming down the road. It's kind of scary, too, when you think about it. Did you see that movie, Paul, by any chance? 
I, I know the movie, but I, I can't. It's been a long, long time since I watched it. Yeah. But what yeah. I did over the I, just yesterday, I was driving uh, from visiting my son up in Seattle, uh, down back here to Portland on I five. And when you think about the trailers, you know what, what we were just talking about. We mentioned reefers, and we were basically talking a dry van. Uh, the idea of a flatbed came in there. But in that short amount of time, I mean, I saw, I think, practically every type of trailer that we use in the United States, flatbeds, simple stake trucks. Um, I saw drop uh, uh, trailers. I saw uh, bulk carriers of various sorts, fuel tankers, refrigerated uh, vehicles, soft siders, uh, logging trucks where actually, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting in our legal system that a it's a logging truck. It's not a trailer. Uh, and so that uh, part that you're uh, carrying behind uh, is actually not a trailer. A lot of doubles, uh, not too many triples, you know, so we had uh, uh, the, the dollies that go between them and things with pintle hooks. Uh, with uh, especially uh, uh, mostly FedEx ground that I saw uh, traveling. So there's an awful lot of different types of freight that we have to carry uh, that make a difference. And, you know, we talk about this last year was almost 500,000 trailers that were manufactured. The majority of those were the dry vans that, you know, most people are familiar with. But there was still a large percentage of all those other variations of trailers that we need to, to be able to carry a variety of things. Another thing that caught my attention was how uh, we're using various types of containers coming off the ships. For some reason, I had it in my head that they're all the same size. But I saw uh, 46-foot containers. I saw 53-foot containers. I saw little 22-foot containers. I saw container chassis that were hauling three and four different containers on the same chassis because they were so short. So there's an awful lot that we can do to improve how we are hauling freight. Uh, And that's where I'm thinking, you know, there's going to be a lot of development in the next uh, 15 years with what we're doing with trailers uh, and being able to watch the freight that's actually being hauled. We're going to take a real quick break right here, guys. Dan, thank you very much. And Paul, I just did it. If you go to YouTube later on today and just search Logan Autonomous Trucks, and there's a three-minute clip of the movie. I think you'll really enjoy it. We're going to take a break here. We'll be back with more on Tech Talk with TMC. Robert Braswell, of course, our co-host, the uh, executive director of the Technology and Maintenance Council. Paul Menig is with us as well. And uh, we're talking uh, the future of trucks and trailers. Paul heads up. I am. Well, we are heading uh, towards the bottom of the hour, but before we go there, we're going to head up to the top of the country and up to Minnesota, guys. And uh, Rooster is with us on the line, and you're on with Paul and Robert now. Rooster, go right ahead. Good morning. Yeah, yeah a couple of things. Are you talking about that other guy was talking about putting the motors on the wheels. You know, he's put, put a steer axle underneath there where the uh, landing gear is, and that just took care of your tractor there, too. But up in Minnesota, up here today, they're they're ahead of ball game. They got wind powered trailers up here, self driving and wind powered. Ah, uh, yeah, man, going about fifty miles an hour too, huh? No, they weren't going that fast, but they well, were. Well, the wind is going that fast, is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the pontoon, the pontoon trailers, and the empty trailers sitting in the parking lot. We're just going all over the parking lot this morning. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Conestoga trailers. But yeah. And they also make uh, for the smaller trailer. You know, like your like the camper you pull behind your pickup and your boat trailer. They got a little remote control little box now. It ain't much bigger than what your bathroom scale is. You know, like about a square foot box. It's got a little pole that stands up there with a ball on it, and uh, you can remotely control, move your uh, small boat or your camper around your driveway. They had a demonstration where a guy put his little utility trailer in his garage and doing 360s in his garage with it. There's a lot of technology out here already that's not really, you know, commercialized, but it's, I guess, somebody, you know, made it in their backyard and tried to promote it. There's, there's technology that um, is good for aftermarket applications, and then there is technology that is good for uh, the vehicle OEM to do. And a large part of it comes down to who's liable if there's an accident going to happen. Uh, so a lot of things in our uh, trucking industry always start out with aftermarket first, a lot of times with one of the major suppliers uh, and it takes time before it actually becomes something that is uh, driven by the vehicle OEM and backed up with a warranty. And a lot of that has to do with what we do with TMC, which is figuring out how are we going to maintain this equipment? How do you provide a return on investment for the fleet that's running it in order to, to do things? Now, when you get to the liability thing, though, how do you, you know, where do you fix stupid at? You know, there ain't a week that goes by there ain't some <laughs> stupid verdict for astronomical amount of money that it was the person's own fault. You know, the, I think the latest one that comes to mind was a little incident out there with, uh, I believe it was Warner in the, in the four-wheeler that went through the median. You know, it wasn't the truck's fault by no means, and uh, but yet, uh, you know, they lose the lawsuit. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the latest know, that I've I, been, been watching is uh, the, the uh, law uh, going against uh, Roundup. Uh, and the fact that, you know, I've yep. been spraying my grass for, for years with Roundup to get rid of weeds. And now, you know, the claim that it's going to cause cancer. And so that that's what you're talking about is, you know, partially that and partially just, you know, people doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, you know, I, I have a 19-month-old grandson now, and he doesn't know what fear is. So he tries anything and everything. So, but he's not stupid, at least not yet, because <laughs> that assumes that he had a chance to be smart, and he's he's not there yet. He's still in the trial stage of things. Yeah, I I just look at some of these lawsuits that come across here. Why are they even wasting their time in court with them? You know. Well, it's largely because somebody small sees the equivalent of a, a casino uh, or a lottery ticket, and they're going to be able to get a lot of money for making a, a court case. Uh, you know, there was a uh, long time ago the uh, the McDonald's with uh, this is hot liquid inside this coffee cup. Be careful. Well, of course, but there they you sued go again. And, and and McDonald's had to put on, or everybody has to put on their coffee cup. This is a hot liquid. Be careful. Yeah, and let's look at the fan belt. There's a warning label in there too to shut your car out before you put it on. But uh, you yeah. know, the thing too, a lot of a lot of these cases. Um, you know, I I could sue for any anything I could want to dream up, for any amount of money I want to, and the other person's lawyer or insurance company will offer an out of court settlement for say ten or twenty percent of what I'm suing for. Who loses? Who wins in this deal? 
Fantastic. Paul Minnick is with us, Robert Braswell, and George is with us in Florida. Uh, George, good morning. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, gentlemen. I got a question about uh, a rumor that I kind of heard that maybe you could answer. And then I just thought of a second question, Dave, if I can ask it here in a minute. But I heard that in 2020, EPA has miles per gallon requirements for new big trucks that none of the truck manufacturers and engine makers can meet without going back to 55 miles an hour. Is is that a possibility that they're going to do that in order to comply? I think there's a song about that, not being able to drive 55. And then uh, I'll just ask the other question, and I'll let you ask. But it's been 15 years now since they started with these aftermarket emissions that they're adding to the engines. And I did a little bit of research and looking into it because I couldn't understand it. It's been this long and these engine makers haven't integrated all these emissions right into the engine to cut down on the cost and, and the maintenance cost and uh, the loss of engine life, except for the fact that there's only three or four countries in the world that are doing this. We don't have cat anymore because they have such a small percentage of the market here and and they, you can buy a new C fifteen in Mexico without without, you know, twin turbos. So why is it taking so long for them to fix this problem? Um and I'll just let you guys answer the questions and thanks for taking my call, Dave. In charge, let me try the uh, first question first, which is uh, has to do with emissions regulations, uh, particularly CO2. Uh, you know, the, the idea that we have the Paris Accords that most countries have signed up to in order to limit CO2 and emissions, and that's going on all around the world, and trucks are a portion of that, cars are a portion of that. Uh, the next big regulation for trucks in the United States is 2025 regulations, but EPA, the Environmental Protection Association, is in negotiations with California Air Resources Board and the truck OEs to uh, come up with some additional uh, regulations to control that. Now, most of that has been handled, as you say, by the engine some of it is, you know, we have trailers that uh, most of the van trailers have to have a aerodynamic device associated with them. A lot of it has been done with the tires. You'll see that most of the vehicles today are more aerodynamic looking. Um, and most recently, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is allowing Stone Ridge to run field tests without mirrors because there's another half percent of um, fuel economy that can be saved by not having a mirror and having a much smaller camera that would be out there. Now to your other question of, well, why haven't they fixed it yet <laughs> with the engines and the after treatment system and why isn't it buried inside the engine? Uh, when you look at how a diesel engine operates, uh, it still has to have an air intake and it still has to have an exhaust and then they recirculate some of the exhaust back to the intake of the engine. And all of that takes uh, initially uh, stuff on the outside of the engine. I could imagine maybe for 2040, 
<clears throat> that some engine manufacturer like uh, Cummins or uh, Detroit or Packard or somebody or Volvo, uh, Navistar, that they might be trying to work on a different engine that would have more of that internal uh, to the vehicle. There are other types of engines called turbines, but it seems like many more people are going towards using more electric. And uh, we had the announcement yesterday, not only did Daimler announced that they would have an autonomous uh, level four, uh, level two truck, excuse me, uh, this year, but that in 2021, they would be having electric class eight vehicles. And the electric vehicles, you know, once you deal with whether you have enough battery capacity, whether the batteries are too heavy or not, the idea is that an electric motor actually has fewer parts that have to be repaired than a diesel engine has. And so there are some people who uh, are forecasting that an electric engine, if you will, an electric motor-driven vehicle will have less items to repair than a diesel engine. One other development that I've seen that is helping with trying to improve the uh, after-treatment system is many of the OEMs have moved to trying to package it all into a single box, and they've been working on making the catalytic uh, converter stuff uh, smaller and more efficient. Uh, but, yeah, that continues to, to show up on most surveys of uh, the cost of repairs of a vehicle to be a, a big issue still. It just takes time to uh, to figure everything out, to be able to make the changes and all the tooling that's required uh, to make a new engine. Paul, as you know, one of the challenges is with electric vehicles is just how do you charge these these batteries rapidly enough to equate to what would be like operating a diesel-powered uh, uh, vehicle. Uh, and, and certainly there's some efforts there. I think there's something called the Char-In uh, project where they're trying to come up with standards for uh for charging uh heavy duty vehicles uh but do you think maybe that uh, uh electric vehicles married up with something like a fuel cell powering technology that drives the electric motors is something that would probably uh catch hold as opposed to just a, a plug-in electric vehicle for example you know it, every every system you come up with whether it be gasoline or horsepower or whatever, they all need to provide some sort of a fuel. You know, the horses had to stop and eat hay or oats. Uh, right. Then, you know, we, we had to develop gasoline infrastructure. You know, it does, didn't exist back in 1903 timeframe when, you know, right. uh, Henry Ford made the Model T. It's developed up. And I, I'd say it probably the number of gasoline stations probably peaked in around the mid-80s. And then it's been going down uh, since then, but I don't have data to support that. Um, and the same thing's going to happen with the electric vehicles. You either have to recharge the battery somehow, so you have to have a, uh, you know, electric energy that you put into it, uh, or if you go to a fuel cell, you still have to have hydrogen that you have to stop and get somehow. And it can be either a gaseous um, a hydrogen, or it can be more likely a liquid. Uh, hydrogen, which requires a lot of technology to keep it cool. So uh, it's unclear as to what is going to be the final uh, way of getting things done. Right now, biofuel is a pretty good option for uh, a number of fleets. 
uh, somebody, uh, George is in Florida, but one of the other person was in Minnesota. We have a problem with mixing uh, different fuel things when we get up into the colder climates of uh, Minnesota and into Canada. So it's it's really unclear what the the final mix of different types of fuels is going to be uh, for our vehicles. And I would expect that last mile delivery is going to be probably more electric. Um, we've seen a lot of the waste management um, type vehicles, uh, refuse vehicles going to natural gas because they have an easy source of the natural gas at their own uh, garbage uh, uh, locations. So uh, that works out well. Um, UPS and FedEx and, and many others are experimenting with electric delivery vehicles. Uh, drones, uh, which are also electric, uh, have hit a, uh, a, a problem recently thanks to the two to three day shutdown of uh, London Gatwick uh, Airport, uh, I think it was, uh, because of some uh, drones getting into the airspace there. So um, it, it's going to be another five to 10 years of just sorting out, I think, what makes most sense and where. Um, one of the big things I see right now is uh, both Tesla and GM have now run out of credits from the United States government. And so now they're they hit vehicles, the 100,000 uh, threshold. Yeah. Yeah. So $7,500 extra cost to somebody to buy an electric vehicle. Tesla's response was to drop the price. Uh, okay, that's great. How much money is Tesla making and how long can they continue to go uh, without making money? Uh, GM, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen their response yet to that. So I don't have a good answer as to, you know, whether it's going to be a, a hydrogen-based uh, fuel cell, it's, whether it's going to be a lithium-ion battery or a manganese uh, battery or what it's going to be. But there are improvements going on in all of those different ways of fueling. There's infrastructure, you mentioned charge-in, Tesla's putting in its uh, uh, charging stations throughout. Last week I was talking about, well, what's the next voltage that we're gonna have on a vehicle? And I said, everything I see says it's gonna be a 48 volt uh, system in the future to do, uh, be able to improve the fuel economy and the operation of the vehicle. And then there's standardizations in China that are going on with electric vehicles, too, that may have some influence, right? They may be going somewhat of a different direction than, let's say, the Charan folks are talking about doing. That The idea that the trucking industry, the freight movement industry, is global much more so today than it was, say, uh, 30 years ago when deregulation occurred, uh, where we mostly concentrated on things here in the United States only. Today, a lot of standards uh, are set for the world uh, in other places rather than uh, what we're doing. And sometimes we have to follow, sometimes we can lead. We are going to uh, lead ourselves into a break right here. We'll be right back with more with Paul Menig and Robert Braswell on Tech Talk PMC. I want to thank everybody for such great calls and conversation this morning. Robert Braswell and Paul Menig are with us. It's Tech Talk with TMC. Kind of getting to the finish line, and uh, Poet is with us up in North Dakota, guys. Poet, good morning. You're on with Robert and Paul. Go right ahead. Good morning, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Now, I'm sitting here thinking about this, Put the motors on the trailer wheels and having the tractor or the steering mechanism pushed. Wouldn't that more likely be like pushing a rope? 
Well, no, and, and, and there's a reason why I'm saying that. If you pull something, okay, uh, the nose of what you're, what you're pulling with is in control. If you push something with a swivel on the front, now you have very little control. And I can see uh, in my mind's eye, I can see more um, jackknife because the 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 tractor isn't pulling; the tractor is being pushed. And then what happens with a set of doubles or a set of triples with the uh, converter dollies in between? Now you have two pivot, three pivot points. You know what's going to happen if if say one trailer overspeeds another? You're going to wind up with problems. So you, you you're bringing up what what typically uh, we all have to think about is okay. Here's an idea. Now, what are the problems that we have to overcome in order to make it work? The first thought that came to my mind as you said that was if I look at a lift truck, uh, which is used in you know factories everywhere, used outside, if I look at a lot of agricultural equipment, it basically is driven from the rear of the vehicle uh, and is able to pivot very easily uh, in tight spaces. So if I had... Um, separate wheel end motors on a trailer, I could probably maneuver in a yard much more easily. Just because I put uh, the trailer to have wheel end motors on it, what if instead of the front of the trailer, as we think about it today, that was the rear of the trailer? And we, we use the axles to drive it and we just put a a simple dolly or something or a single wheel uh, where the, the kingpin is today. But that's, that's what innovation is all about, is trying to say, okay, let's take all of our blinders off and let's see what makes sense and what can be done. Separate wheel end motors idea is not much different than where we're at today with the electronic brakes on a trailer where I'm able to separately break each of the wheels uh, of the trailer to avoid uh, not just jackknifing, but all other kinds of instability and things. The idea of now, how do I extend that to doubles and triples? Well, if we look at what we're doing with autonomous trucks right now, uh, we're limiting where we can use them. Uh, doubles and triples aren't allowed on all of the highways in the United States. There's actually a very limited number of places where we can use them because of the way they're uh, configured and people are concerned about the safety of even operating a double and a triple. Yeah, it doesn't sound practical in some ways to, to put the wheel end motors uh, on the trailer and then somehow how do we deal with it being uh, pulled. Uh, the Volvo concept vehicle that was done still has some sort of a uh, autonomous vehicle that connects to the kingpin and still pulls the trailer around uh, inside a yard, for instance. So think of it as a uh, autonomous, simplified yard jockey, if you will. Uh, the <laughs> idea that we're going to do that out on the road, not quite ready for that yet. Well, it will be, though, before we know it, that's for sure. Poet, thank you so much. Paul, can't thank you enough. Some great insight. Thank you so much for being with us on the program.
Happy to be here. Always enjoy talking with uh, the drivers out there and getting a feel for what they're thinking about. Paul Menig, he heads up Tech I Am.